Hi there, and welcome back to yet another episode of Story Beast, where my co-host, Habiba Weston, and myself, Courtney Shack, chat all things story. In today's episode, we talk about the element of surprise and how that can be incorporated with atmosphere. We share specific examples of both surprise and atmosphere and discuss why they work for us. Additionally, please listen to the very, very end of the episode, especially if you're going to Y'all Fest and happen to like some free stuff. Hi, Courtney. Happy birthday. Hi, Gabby. Happy Halloween. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm here. Um, I just had a really fun little birthday shindig situation Saturday. So that yeah, was Yeah, you had fun. your casual witch party, didn't you? Yeah, and for anyone that wants to know, my tagline for that party was, it's not a costume, it's a lifestyle. So... <laughs> I had awards. There was the It's Not a Costume, It's a Lifestyle Award. And there was also a Hecate Give Me That Hat Award, which was Best Hat, because I had everyone uh, decorate hats. And it was super fun. And then I had the uh, Award, which was for a werewolf game. And it was basically a best in show, like who did the best the game. So we all pointed at a person. So we really wanted to be pretty spooky. So we, Roy and I, uh, my partner, we, you know, we decked out the whole place and we had, um, I have to mention this, a ginormous snack board that was (laughs) shaped like a coffin. And then my friend who came as a kitchen witch and won the It's Not a Costume, It's a Lifestyle Award, who also did our wonderful intro music. She made this board so beautiful and lovely. And I ate so much vegan cheese and berries and jellies. Like there was like a, um, I have this onion and garlic jam and it, it's life changing. <laughs> so. Okay. But now I have to know what is a kitchen witch? So, um, she put dill in her hair um, <laughs> and flour on her face and had like a cute little apron and was just kind of witchy. And then, I mean, if you put like, then once we put our hats on, we were very much witches, you know, so it was like super fun. Uh, growing up, I was always a witch. I'm like, it's funny. Like I've, I've just love, I love witches. They're wonderful. Yeah. I love so witches too. I know you do. We love witches here. That's very beast. So today we're going to talk about atmosphere and surprise, since those are the, the two topics that we've been talking a little bit about in, in the last legendary episode that we had with Maya. We talked a lot about surprise and this first beast bite that we have called an atmosphere. And we were, Courtney and I, talking about how surprise and atmosphere can sort of be married together in so many great ways that allow for a story to have that kind of feeling in the background of what a writer tries to put forth in, you know, without telling you specifically. So that, that whole mood that they create, the whole tone of the story can come through by using both surprise and atmosphere. And, and we wanted to talk a little bit about how you can achieve that in your own writing. Yeah. And I'm actually going to transition into that by talking about 
my party a little bit. We did play the, so I mentioned the Awu award. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that was, we played this game. It's one night ultimate werewolf and everyone is a different character and there's so many different motivations, but we'll say the primary motivations are the villagers want to kill the werewolves and the werewolves want to kill villagers right you can have one or two werewolves you don't quite know and so everyone is suspicious and there's someone called like the troublemaker who will switch people's identities so you might think that you're a villager but if they switch you with the werewolf then you're actually the werewolf and you don't even know you're the werewolf right and so it's very um it's very interesting for me like there was a lot of surprise in that game and i know when we talked to maya one of the things Maya said is they mentioned lying as a um, a way to generate surprise, but not the only way. And there's just a lot of lying in that game. And shout out to Joe, who got the Best in Show Award because he lied a lot. Um, so, um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so it, it was just really interesting. And then also what was kind of cool about like the atmosphere piece of that is there's also um, an app component if you don't want to necessarily guide the game and there's someone with like this deep voice that says now close your eyes now do your action whatever right and then there's this ambiance to it right there's music in the background and in terms of story that's kind of creating this mood that like oh it is nighttime and there's a spooky werewolf and you know hopefully i don't die (laughs) Yeah, I love so, that you um, I love that you mentioned music there. Sorry, you, I'm, I just cut you off. Oh no, you didn't go. No. Um, I love that you that you mentioned music and you mentioned like the deep voice of the almost game narrator in a way mm-hmm. because you know we talk about story and we talk about it in all forms, not only in writing. But both of us are writers, and the one thing that that we always sort of come back to is how can we create the same level of atmosphere that you might see in a film where they can use music and they can use you know lighting differences and they can use characters' voices and and tone in a way that we don't have the tools for. So we have other tools. We have you know we're able to to include other senses that you you can't see on film. We can talk about smells. We can talk about tastes. We can talk about textures. But when we're talking about atmosphere and you know setting a certain tone and a certain mood and how how can we do that in writing, I think that word choice comes in very importantly in that. And that ties into surprise as well. When you use certain words in a way that is unexpected, they can be very simple words. They can be words that you know we use every day, but you use them in a context that is where they're not normally used, then that can be a way to create both surprise and set a certain tone. So if you have connotations for certain words that most people have the same connotation for, you can use that to create atmosphere. And then I think the way that you string those together as well so that you have a certain cadence, and this is why I I think it's very important when you write to read your writing out loud Mm. so that you, you get a sense of what does it actually sound like how, do, how does everything flow? What is the cadence of those sentences? How, how does it put together a sense of, let's say you're, you're writing something and you want it to sound you know, scary or in some kind of very spooky mood, then you know, are you creating that level of atmosphere when you read it out loud to yourself? Or even getting somebody else to read it out loud to you can be... Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, it's funny because I've had um, I write poetry as well, and and um, I've had people do readings of my own poetry, and I've always find it really interesting to hear how 
somebody else says the words that I wrote in, uh, in, you know, in a rhythm that I didn't imagine when I wrote it. And I love that people have different interpretations, but this is also the thing that's really fun about writing. One of the most interesting things for me is how we can write something with a certain intention and we all can have different connotations of certain words. But, you know, if you say, if I say Stephen King and you think about the type of atmosphere that he creates in, his, in most of his stories, everybody usually comes to roughly the same conclusion about how you feel when you read a Stephen King story. And so whether or not we have our own interpretations or even our own cadence in the way that we read something, there's still that overall tone that comes through because we don't live in a bubble. So even if we have slightly different interpretations, by the end of it, what, what is created by the writer is going to you know, if you do it well enough, it's going to hit the mark that, that you want people to take from that story. And we do we do have a couple of examples that I think are great examples of um, creating both surprise and atmosphere. But I do think, for me, word choice and cadence are probably two of the biggest ways to do so in writing. Yeah, and I think, too, I, I think what I'd like to add to that is how you can use um, micro tensions to generate both surprise and atmosphere. So what I mean by that is... You know, like a microtension can be something like, I, I'm almost thinking about like little things that maybe could go wrong in a scene, right? You know, and that kind of adds this feeling of, you know, maybe it's not directly impacting the plot, but it impacts the reader or viewer or whoever in a way that could create a sense of dread. And that can also create atmosphere. And I'm honestly thinking about Jaws, just just what that music does for me, like na 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 na, you know. Yeah. But, but then you can see like all of these different, you know, like things playing out, you know, different points of views, you know, and how um, something in a scene can just go wrong in little ways to kind of give us a clue, but maybe we don't even know what the surprise will be. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that. I might look for and it pulls me through because I think um, a sense of surprise or in, even anticipating surprise can generate pace. When we think about atmosphere, we kind of tend to, or at least I tend to think in very dark tones and what is it? You, mm -hmm. it, it feels like that sort of level of atmosphere it has those, those connotations to me, but you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be something dark or something kind of ratcheting up to a certain pace. It mm -hmm. could be, you could create atmosphere just by characters having great banter and you could use, you could use character observations to create certain levels of atmosphere and to build surprise and tension in your story. So if the reader, for example, knows something that the character doesn't, and you just have this oblivious character walking through, making some ridiculous observations, you can use that in contrast to the atmosphere that the narrator is creating in the story. And you have a character coming in who's maybe, let's, let's say you're writing a very dark story, and you have someone coming in making these very sort of sunny observations, and it's contrasting very heavily, and you sit with this, this weight and this dread of something that you know is going to happen. You can create tension and pace like that. Yeah, I, I love that. I love what you said, too, about just using like these maybe like seemingly opposite things, right, to kind of scrape up against each other, right, and how that works. And honestly, I know this isn't maybe quite on topic, but it kind of like reminds me of like why Grumpy Sunshine works so well for me. So, um, <laughs> but but it's true, right, because it's like, what kind of perspectives are people bringing to the table and how can that generate more surprise? So my partner and I, we just started watching this show called The Mole on Netflix. Have you heard of it? Uh, you mentioned it the other day, but I didn't look it up. So <laughs> I don't know what it's about. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's basically 
people go to trial with a lot of money. So that's like the motivation. And they are doing all of these challenges. And what's cool about the challenges to me is there's, there is a level of surprise in the challenges, right? And, um, you know, if you've ever done an escape room, it's like the game is in some ways like a big elaborate escape room, sort of the way that your mind might work in that scenario. And as a viewer, like it's reality TV, but I'm like trying to figure it out. And every time someone comes on the screen, I'm like, are you the mole? You're too nice. Are you the mole? <laughs> Too rude. Like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what these people's motivations are because they want people to also think that they're the mole because they do this vote at a certain point where you're kind of guessing who the mole is. And if you basically guess the worst, then you get booted off the show. And and then like the mole's motivation is basically to lose money for the whole team. And so it's like all of these different levels of motivations that are scraping up against each other that create this tension. I'm honestly always surprised too. I'm like, what is going to happen? You know, I want to know who the mole is and we haven't finished it yet. And we're going to finish it tonight, hopefully. <laughs> but I don't know. But it's like, but it's like, it's honestly, it's pace too, right? And it's reality TV. And my partner was like, is this scripted? Do you think this is scripted? Because we were like, this is so good. Anyway, someone's going to say like, they don't like it, but you're wrong. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're talking about this, I, what I'm finding interesting is because I have absolutely mm. no idea what you're talking about. But um, <laughs> everyone else doesn't know either. <laughs> um, well, I'm just thinking about how it seems like it's the same device that's kind of used over and over in a way that remains interesting because you're just changing up the fact you're not you're not even actually changing up much of anything you're just keeping people guessing but still you know it's the same people in the show it's the same question that's there they're doing the same sort of thing over and over and over and that is a that is a great storytelling device if you do it well mm -hmm. you can you know people have certain levels of expectations and we talk about this in just in general, when in storytelling, how it's important to meet the readers or listeners' expectations when you tell a story. Because if you surprise them in the wrong way, then they're they're either going to say, well, I'm not interested in reading or listening to the story anymore or watching it or whatever the case is, because I had an expectation of when I came into this and it wasn't that. And so I feel like we talk about surprise in a good way, but there can be bad surprises too. And one thing that I've noticed in quite loved in some of the books that I've read recently is this setup at the beginning from a lot of writers saying, I wrote a story in this setting and it's accurate in these ways and it's inaccurate in these ways. So please know that going in. And so it sets an expectation. So whatever else you're surprised by, at least you know up front that this other thing that maybe would have surprised you because you had some experience about that setting or about some other you know, historical fact or whatever the case may be, you don't have an expectation anymore that that's going to be accurate. You can have, like, retellings are incredibly popular because there's a certain expectation of, let's say you're doing a retelling of Peak and Beast. There's a certain level of expectation of what will be incorporated into the story, but people go into that reading and knowing that you're going to surprise them in some different way. So there's an underlying, I want some familiarity, and I expect some level of familiarity, but there's also then that overriding sense of, but I know you're going to surprise me with something different because this is free time. So that, that deals with expectation. It deals with surprise and it deals with how a storyteller can manage levels of expectations so that your readers always have a sense of whatever it is that you're going to deliver. 
and you and you manage that well. And I think as storytellers, we have to be really conscious of how we manage expectations because once we once we put a story out, that's it. That's it's not ours anymore. And and I think that's important because everybody then can take it and and make it theirs, and and that's an exciting part of story. But it also means that, you know, it can be interpreted in ways that maybe we didn't intend. And so to think about, you know, what are the ways in which I would like people to take some of what I've written in terms of a certain message? How would I like to surprise people? What can I put out there before they get to the story that helps set up the way that I would like to deliver it? Right. And I think what you were saying earlier about, you know, enjoying certain authors being upfront about specific pieces of their story and um, essentially appreciating content warnings. You know, I think that that is something that is really great. And, you know, to put it succinctly, it's like no one likes a bad surprise, you know? So yeah, um, yeah that's, a, that's another level of, you know, content warnings. And, and I, I don't see that very often. I think in more recent books, I've seen mm-hmm. content warnings coming up and I appreciate them so much. You know, that's, yeah. that's another level of bad surprise that you don't want if you don't have content warning and you come across something that you, know, you weren't expecting. Yeah. And we were actually talking about this the other day and you said something really great about agents. And I'd really, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd really like you to say it here. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was talking from a place of, I, try to organize a, an anthology and had had some submissions and just a, a lot of people submitted and there were no content warnings. And so just thinking in terms of, you know, when you send your queries out to agents, try to remember that they're people and put your content warnings on. So if it's not clear from your query letter that you're dealing with a topic that might be triggering, then be explicit somewhere else in before they get to your pages and say, these are topics that are covered in these first few pages. So please be aware that they might be triggering in case they are so that you can allow people the scope to be able to take care of themselves. It should be a, a standard human thing that we do. You might not be able to catch everything. Sometimes you, you might write something and you might not realize maybe in that moment that this is something that might be triggering. I think that's where your beta readers can come in. And hopefully it's something that you, you manage to catch before you send it out. But if you, if you make the effort, I think that that speaks a lot to you being conscious of the type of content that you write. And I, and I think that as storytellers, I think that's a really important thing to consider. And then so you, so you give your readers that choice about whether this is something that they want to face. I recently read an amazing book. It's called All My Rage, Was About to Hear. And I love that book. And I love that she did great content warnings at the beginning. Some of them were triggers for me, but because she was very upfront about it, and, and I love her writing in general, I read the book and I felt that she dealt with all of those issues very, very well. None of it was gratuitous. And, and I went in knowing what I was about to read. As a reader, I appreciated that in a way that I, I can't even begin to describe because it was, you know, sometimes I, I do read books where everybody's going to read this book, read this book, read this book. And so I'll know something about it and I'll pick it up and I'll start reading it and something will just hit me out of nowhere. And I will either continue reading it because I started reading it for research purposes but then I will feel constantly upset by the thing that I've read that I wasn't right. expecting. And it'll it'll taint the rest of the book or the rest of the story for me in some way and distract me from the actual message that I probably should be taking from the story. Or if I'm not reading it from research, I'll put the book down and I won't pick it up again. And that's probably the worst thing that can happen for any any storyteller for that to happen where people just say, well, and, and then, you know, they might not pick up your next story because they were surprised in a way that was unpleasant. Yeah, and I think... Almost on a broader level, 
this is a storytelling podcast, but also I think that, you know, people are such story creatures. You know, when mm-hmm. we talk to each other, it's, I mean, we're communicating our stories, we're communicating our experiences. And, you know, sometimes we need to tell our stories to, you know, not feel alone and all sorts of things like that. And, um, but one thing that, you know, kind of was coming up for me is I work in, you know, like my day job is I work in the mental health field and I deal with a lot of really difficult situations and like so did like my colleagues and I think that in terms of just interacting with people is you know kind of this uh, essential concept of consent right when we're going to talk to someone it's like hey I had a really hard day do you have space for this do you have space for that and I think like with the content warnings that honestly is generating this type of permission and consent that I think could you know we could explore in a bigger and deeper way in the world so I think that if that could be more broadly accepted and then it's like, you know, like we know like content warnings are always going to be on like page two or something. Then if someone's mad about content warnings and skip page two, you know, like, <laughs> so. I mean, I can't imagine people be mad about content warnings. This does make me think about genre mm-hmm. and how there can be certain expectations in certain genres mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe as a writer, you might think about, I write, for example, I don't specifically write, but if you do uh, write gothic, for example, Mm -hmm. um, and there's certain expectations in a genre that you don't feel you need to put as a content warning, I would say that there's no harm in putting it anyway, just because somebody might walk into a bookstore or turn on a film or listen to a podcast and not have that background of what it is that that genre entails. They might read outside of that or, or listen to story outside of that, consume story outside of that. And that's fine because people can expand it at any time in life, at any point and decide that now we want to read something outside of what we usually do. So it doesn't, I think it doesn't hurt to, to just be explicit about what content contains. And that does make me think actually about, um, now that I'm talking about genre, you mentioned something the other day about genre blending as, as, a, as a technique of surprise. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, I think what's interesting about genre blending is I think it can create like a freshness for me as a reader, as a storyteller, or like when I want to surprise myself, either like even I'll be like, oh, okay, I'm writing this. Like I, I usually write fantasy, right? But like what elements of another genre can I borrow from? And um, I think it even does kind of go back to um, when you were talking about the the aspect of retellings, right? And how are we borrowing from a thing with expectations and making it our own, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I say I write fantasy and you think I write elves, right? And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with elves. I love a good elf, right? But as a reader, <laughs> like I want to know like, you know, what um, what's new and what's fresh about this. There's actually, um, I, I just downloaded it. So I am really excited to read this but the author is also like a narrator but um it's called legends and lattes um i think the author's name is travis Baldry. um but anyway it's like a cozy fantasy novel and i'm like i have have i read cozy fantasy before like and you know and what what is cozy fantasy 
well, I guess I don't know, but I'm like, oh, is this going to be like, am I going to be in a fantasy setting, but like swaddled in, Swedish? I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'll have to tell you, but like, you know, like just like, you know, like those cozy games you might play. This is what I'm imagining this is. It's like, you know, I, I think it's um, the book is about like this, this person who is like this warrior type of, you know, character and is like done with that life and I think now we've got like a barista setting and like a love interest that is exactly what I would like to read right now you know but like but it feels so new to me like it's fresh right and I I just I mean I personally haven't heard of anything like that but like that kind of feels like a genre blending of like fantasy but make it Stardew Valley or something like I don't know like so I like I like this topic because to me, I, I try to think of the flip side of it as well in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, if when we start talking about genre blending, I think about how do you pitch that? And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when an agent picks it up and thinks about where is this going to sit on the shelf, then if, if I walk into a library or into a bookstore or, um, or if I go onto Netflix and I start looking at all the categories that they have there, where is this going to sit when I start blending genre? You know, what is the, the overpowering, the overarching genre? And how do I say I'm blending this other bit in or it has elements of that to me is really interesting. And then the other side of it, which is the the advice that we often get as storytellers is to take something completely common or mundane and then flip it or something that's overdone and then just try to make it your own. Genre blending is one way that you can do that. But of course, there's, there's many ways that you can take anything that's a usual trope and flip it. But tropes, now that I've said the word trope. There's also another thing where there's no level of, you know, it's one where you have an expectation and you want a certain level of surprise because you don't know how it's going to play out. But you know that, let's say enemies to lovers, you know the enemies are going to become lovers. So you go in with that expectation and people love that. They they love that there's that guarantee that that trope exists and tropes are are popular for a reason, right? But they want to see how it plays out. And so I think this the the level of expectation and surprise there are balanced. And that is something that I think about a lot in storytelling because there are certain genres where you have to, for example, have a happy ending. You have to hit certain beats. And those those levels of expectation are established in those specific genres. And you, you have to do them as a, as a storyteller because the expectation exists for readers. And if you don't do them, you can't classify your story as whatever genre that sits in. Uh, romance, for example, is a good example of that. So that is where surprise can come in as, you know, the tool that we have to think about in terms of not, I I can't change up the beats that I have to have in there, but how can I tell it in a way that's different? You can, you can think about setting, you can think about character observations, you can think about how you can flip characters who would normally behave in a certain way and and twist that uh, or Mm -hmm. or change genders or change, you know, gender um, type roles in, in stories is what I mean. And so... All of the, the kind of general societal expectations you can try flip on, on, on their heads while still keeping the expectation fulfilled. I agree with that because I think too, you know, if I have an expectation of what this is going to be, but you're going to give me like an underdog character is always kind of surprising to me, right? So, mm-hmm. um, or with, um, Victoria Aveyard's, uh, Realm Breaker, um, series like the the concept is kind of the A team failed and now the B team needs to come in but it's like you know the fellowship of the ring sort of thing right Lord of the rings so like that that's interesting to me that feels like a little um it does feel like a spin on something that I kind of know about but enough where I'm like well I want to know how this one works out 
And um, I actually, I'll bring up um, nettle and bone. So king, tea kingfisher, um, I mentioned this in my Instagram stories, like tea kingfisher, like checks on my boxes. So um, <laughs> like, I love the level of atmosphere in, um, in these books. And also in terms of surprise, there's a lot of ways that tea kingfisher Um, Just like the word choice that we've talked about before, um, that is always so unique in terms of when I'm reading. I'm I'm surprised by the word choice and the types of words generate a sort of atmosphere for me. And then also there's something fresh. So T. Kingfisher from my understanding, started out doing a lot of self-published stuff actually, and then got pretty big and now is um, repped like, like, or is published by Tor. And so Nettle and Bone came out, I think in the last year, but it's sort of this, it's kind of like a retelling, but kind of not like there's, you know, when we talk about fairy tale as genre, you know, there's lots of expectations with that. So if I say like princess, you'd be like, oh, Mary's prince, right? Or um, a fairy godmother type of character, right? Oh, and then there's three things that have to happen, you know? And so, um, and, and Gabby and I have talked about this before. Maybe we can dig into it a bit more, but like the, the three thing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I love threes. This is like, I, it's a very I psychological well. human attract. I don't know why, but people in general are attracted to the concept of like things happening in threes. And I, and I think it's great. I think you can lean into that a lot. And it's, it's just a very simple thing to incorporate in storytelling. You think about the three little pigs, the three bears, the, I don't know, the three blind mice. All of the popular stories have threes in them for a reason. What's interesting to me about like with this is like, you know, there's like three tasks, right, in this thing. And the main character is actually like, because that, that should be like the whole story in my mind, right, when I think about that. But it's actually, it's done pretty soon. And then I'm like, well, then what's next? And the whole concept of this is like, um, I'll, I'll read the, I'll read the back just this little line thing. This isn't the kind of fairy tale where the princess marries a prince. It's the one where she kills him. Great. I'm in, you know? And so there's just this level of spookiness here, but then we have like these, these three tasks that have to be done. Right. And then those are done. And now I'm like, well, what's next? And what part of the genre are you going to use? And I do have this, I wanted to read this a little bit because I just felt so intrigued by the atmosphere and and again like word choice was just so on point for me for this but the um they're in this sort of market here the woman who came down the center of the aisle moved as stately as a queen mara's impression was that she was very tall and yet when the woman drew near mark or could have met her eyes without looking up perhaps her apparent height was because of the light for she did not glow, not precisely, but she moved through a cloud of light as if it were dust. Her footsteps kicked up motes of brilliance. The light roiled around her feet and trailed behind her, refusing to settle. She carried a severed hand in her right hand. Her left wrist ended in a stuffed, not bloody, simply bare. The motes of light seemed to gather near it, briefly forming fingers and falling it back to the ground below. Great. Ugh. You know? Like, I mean, and again, the word choice there is really great. Um, the fact that she's carrying a hand in her hand is surprising to me because mm-hmm. there's this, you know, in terms of atmosphere, it's, I'm almost imagining her like this, like cloud of fireflies or something like that. And then we've got this hand, right? And so those are two things that I think when we're talking about 
too, unlike things kind of scraping together to create something that's surprising, but also just a level of word choice here mm-hmm. is generating a type of atmosphere for me. So there's this fairy tale esque, but also we've got some blood. Yeah. Or not blood, but like some kind of level of like, oh, you're holding a hand. Yeah. And I think when you have that level of surprise early on, and we talked about this before about like first lines and how they have to be a great hook. I have heard the writers talk about as well. It doesn't always have to be the first line. You know, it could be the first, the first paragraph, the first page, the first chapter, but you kind of have to lead with something that when it comes down to it is on some level surprising because mm-hmm. that is where the hook comes in. You know, it has to be surprising enough that it intrigues the reader. Or surprising enough that it makes you think, what? <laughs> like, what What does that mean? Or where does that come from? Or what is this going to lead to? And so good openings surprise people in a way where they have to know more because they either have to understand it or they just want more of what you're offering. And, you know, since you, you read that, I, I do have a couple of examples mm-hmm. that I love. One of them is from Samantha Bailey's uh, Watch Out For Her. And I just want to read like a couple. I'm not going to read the whole bit, but I just will pull out a couple of lines which I found really hit me and created the sense of atmosphere where I felt so chilled. <laughs> so the first line is, I watch people. And immediately that takes me into, mm-hmm. oh my God, what? And then I'll just skip ahead and it says, at twilight, the detached two-story blends into the others on this quiet suburban Toronto street, like I hope we will. So we get we get a description of what it is that she's looking at. And we get a sense of how she feels, this main character, Sarah. In time. Yes. Yes. And so you already, you have, you know, you feel like you are grounded with her, not only where she is in the scene, but how she feels. And there's already that kind of spooky sense of atmosphere. And you don't know necessarily if you can trust her as an, and and, and I I feel like this is also a great level of, of, um, a great technique that you can use to surprise people is using an unreliable narrator. So I'm not going to give anything away. I'm just going to read a couple more lines. So um, a little bit further on, it says, I shiver, not from the bitter mid-September chill, but because the woods, they remind me too much of everything we left behind in Vancouver. So in that little piece, you know, the woods, the shiver, the things we left behind, that creates an element of mystery. So immediately you feel all of that darkness. You feel the tension of something that's unsaid, that's still staying with her, and now it's staying with us. And then the last piece I'm just going to read here is, you know, her, her husband's walking ahead of her, and she says, every few seconds he looks over his shoulder, smiling. I smile back, but inside I'm crying over everything I've hidden from him and everything he might be hiding from me. Jacob's oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then the kid is called Jacob, and it says, Jacob stops in front of the three-bedroom red brick home looming before us. It has eyes, he says. His voice is flat, his body trembling through his thin coat. The wind is sharper in Toronto than North Vancouver. Something else my son is now forced to get used to. The windows are eyes, are the eyes, and the door is the mouth. It has no nose again. And so that description no, of the I, house as a no, I, I I'm not gonna <laughs> not read the whole thing. There's so many great lines and I I love this book. Like I will scream about it to everyone. And you know, Samantha Bailey's great. I just <laughs> I love this book. It has so much atmosphere. If you want a great study of what atmosphere is, you should read this. Um, watch out for her person and baby. And so what I wanted to say about that, that last piece where she talks about how her child is experiencing this move that they've just made um, across the country and how he sees this house as a face and the face is missing a component. You know, what is she telling us without telling us? And how does that 
feel spooky. You know, when you see, you know, why, why are masks on Halloween scary? Because you, you can't tell what's behind them and there's no way that you can connect to whatever's being shielded. So there's a, a sense of, un, of the unknown and that in itself creates, you know, it creates its atmosphere, an atmosphere on its own. And I think that she just is so brilliant at doing that. I, I'm in awe of this book and you know, that's, that's one of the examples where I think there's throughout the story, there's certain surprises that just come up, but it's, it's against this background of this atmosphere, which she builds right from that first line and all of the, the craft tools that she incorporates into the way that the story is told. Just so utterly brilliant. I think you should all read it. Just by the way. And, and one last example that I have, which um, I'm not going to read too much of, but I just want to, want to point out a technique that I think is great and, and lots of storytellers use this technique is to, uh, so this is, this is from The Whispering Dark, which is by Kelly Andrew. It's a really great book. Another one you should all read. And it starts off, uh, where part one is called The Resurrection of Colton Price. It just has a quote. So it's, it's, um, a quote from Virgil, um, the Aeneid. And it says, the gates of hell are open night and day. Smooth the descent and easy is the way. But to return and view the cheerful skies. In this, the task and mighty labor lies. And I think that's one of the techniques as, as storytellers we can use is to quote something that already has a, a certain level of atmosphere that ties into what we want to create in our stories. And then part of the work is done in the sense that character, the readers come in understanding the type of story and the type of atmosphere that you want to create. And then the story goes straight after that little uh, quote passage. It goes straight into a, a contemporary setting and contrasts that quote that you just read. But you have that sense of that, that feeling, that atmosphere that was created. And now you have a level of expectation that something dark is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great technique that you can employ in storytelling. And you can then you can switch up, right? Now you go into this contemporary setting and it, and it's very different to what you just read. But you you are kind of tense in a way because you're waiting now to see how this is going to tie into that book. No, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think kind of to riff off of that is borrowing the, the things that we know, right? Um, so when, I, when we talked about tropes earlier, I did want to actually mention The Art of Prophecy by Wesley Chu. It's just, there's so many things about it that surprised me, but part of it too is like the voice in there. Like it was very funny, like in a way that like I, when I, when I think about, you know, there were, there were just parts of it that were really like interesting and funny to me that I just, I don't always expect from fantasy. Like sometimes I do, but when I think of like a chosen one trope, right? Like I'm like, oh, I guess it's going to be like this big epic quest and stuff. And the way that all of this got subverted was so interesting because the whole point is that, you know, there's this person that's grown up, you know, with this expectation that this kid is going to defeat this immortal God King and save this kingdom. And he's lived his whole life according to this prophecy and the prophecy is wrong. Right. And so that completely switches up this chosen one trope. Right. And then you have all of these, this whole cast of characters. Right. And so I love, you know, having like a familiar thing like that and being able to use it just enough as a bedrock for expectations. And then what keeps me reading is to find out how this is different. You know, and I do think that we had talked about this before is like, I mean, story as a survival thing, right? And so when we're trying to figure out what's happening, like the surprise and the peace that's pulling me forward, mm-hmm. it gets almost like I need to know so I can live. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, I, I think you touched on something there that that's actually 
one we haven't discussed here when we talk about atmosphere, and that is voice. So there's different types of voice in storytelling. There's the voice of your characters, and there's the voice of the writer as well. And what you want generally is to create, you want those two things to be distinct. And you want maybe your writer's voice not to be as imposing as the character voice. But you can use both of those voices to create atmosphere. And when you were talking about, you know, this, this story is funny. And so is, you know, is it the character that's funny? Is it the way that they observe the world that's funny? How can you use character voice and your writing voice? to create certain levels of atmosphere? And how can you do it in a way that's not glaring? So, and, and again, that sort of trickles down in the end to word choice, or if you're doing something in film, you know, to the way that you, there, there's so so many different ways that you can create atmosphere, I think in film as well, which we could we could probably do a whole, a whole episode on. But you know, there's, there's lighting, there's angles, there's music, there's got so many, so many cool things that you can use in setting as well, which create atmosphere in a way that is not glaring. And that can be subconscious most to anybody who's taking that in. And with music, you know, in, in pace, in, do you call it pacing in music? <laughs> I don't know, like the, the way that the tempo, tempo, tempo? yeah, it, it's sort of the same as we're starting our hand with here. Both. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing the hand motions, which is not obviously useful. So when you try to create pacing in writing, we do it through sentence cadence and we do it through how we do sentence breaks and, you know, how we split the structure of we do it through structure, essentially, mm -hmm. which is, it's obviously different in any kind of musical storytelling where you can then create that beat physically and have people hear and feel it. And when I watch film, something I've, I discovered very early on as a child is that if I'm afraid when I'm watching something, I can just block my ears because quite often in some, any kind of scary movie, they sort of up the tempo and, and the beat just gets, you know, they have that tense music and you feel so afraid because now you feel it's coming and it builds something up in you. You can do the same in your storytelling. You can create atmosphere in that way by changing the beats at a line level. So, I agree with that, but I also have to say, if I were watching a scary movie and there was a ghost, I would also have to shut my eyes to be okay. I, I mean, I haven't tried that. I I cannot watch like exorcism things, so maybe thank you I, for maybe reading. Me. Thank you for reading my book. <laughs> you see how much I love it. Like she made me read that. There was a content warning, I will say, uh, but there was an exorcism in it, and it was terrifying. <laughs> I also, I mean, this is a little bit of a segue, but I, I. It's so interesting. I, I love I love writing. I love that. But I hate like reading that sort of stuff. And it was very interesting <laughs> to be like, oh, this is what I'm writing. Anyway, I was surprised. You surprised yourself. I That's did. one of one of the great ways that we that you can create that in your writing. We talked about this um in our last episode, if you'd like to listen, uh with my Jesse. All right. Well, before we go, DM us if you um have any other things that you want to talk about with surprise or atmosphere. We're always happy to chat. And um, most importantly, I think we need to discuss some snacks super quick before we leave. Gabby. What are your birthday snacks today? Oh my god. Oh well, my partner and I are gonna go to lunch and I don't know what it's gonna be, but it's gonna be delicious. And then he did go to the store um just now while we were recording and he's what do you want? And I was like, Well, just something delicious. So I'm not quite sure what I'm gonna get. I'm going to be surprised. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's, it's that's very on topic. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I love that. Um, I'm as long as it's good, I'll be happy. Um, and for my um, this is just going to be my brand now. But like you know, I have to talk about like the uh, the whole snack board situation. I want to also say that there was buffalo dip this morning. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was. 
I expected nothing less. Yeah. Oh, and then there was like my my mom had made these like little treats that like were like looking like gnomes, but they had been refrigerated, so they were like I mean they were delicious, but they were like a little harder on the inside because the icing had kind of like uh, hardened just a bit. And one of the people at my party was like, "Oh, the gnomes got bones," and I just like. It was, <laughs> Funny. We were just and so now I just call them the gnome bones. Like, you know, Sonia, we have some gnome bones left, so I'll probably have that. <laughs> what about you, Gabby? Oh, I had to I had to do some baking this weekend. I I don't generally eat a lot of sweet things. Um mm-hmm. I just generally don't like sugar that much. Uh, like and I'm gonna get a bunch of people be like, Meh. but I, I do have a ton of chocolate cupcakes downstairs, which I'll probably eat mm-hmm. today just because they're there. I have my tea. Does that count as a snack? It's so cold. It's so cold. It was raining so hard this morning. I didn't want to get out of my car. I sat in the car like 20 minutes waiting for it to stop. And then I was like, no, I have to get out and just break it. You know how you could fix that? Um, you could get actually move. No, just move closer to me. <laughs> it wasn't raining. Courtney's on a mission. All right, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, this podcast is co-hosted and produced by Kaviva Weston and Courtney Shack. To support StoryBeast, you can follow us on Instagram at StoryBeast Podcast, or you can leave a review where you're listening. Be brave. Stay beastly. Ooh. Surprise us. Ooh, you know what? Hmm. You know what? We're going to be at Yelfest. (gasps) And if you run up to us, well, don't run up. Don't shout surprise. But if you Um, you come and stay surprised, just don't surprise me. (laughs) We'll give you a StoryBeast sticker. Come say hi. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a whole series on community our next beast fight and we'd love to meet you yes and to be clear uh walk and don't yell surprise because <laughs> gabby doesn't like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but um but yes but we will give you a sticker so um come to us we're so excited to meet you thank you for listening bye bye <laughs>